This Friday, May 14th, will be the final time that my wife and I will be a part of True North. Whatever, y'all clapped when Pastor Rod said he fired me. I remember. I remember. I saw the video. All y'all guilty. But in all seriousness, Friday will be the last day I don the jersey of True North, never to put it on again. I'll be your fan. I'll be 1,600 miles away trying to develop a church out in the hill country of Texas for Jesus Christ. So as Pastor Rod gave gave a fine opportunity for me to preach, I thought, what do they need to hear? What does God want True North to hear, to understand, to comprehend, and more importantly, do? as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. I thought of the pastors I got to serve under, Pastor Bobby, Pastor Mark, and now Pastor Rod. I thought of the different directors that have passed through True North. I thought of the countless leaders that we've had serving alongside one another to teach y'all to follow Christ. Over these, at least my seven-year, ten-year here in True North, Lots of different things happened. Different messages that y'all needed to hear. Different parts of the Bible that we needed to focus on. But I thought, why not just keep it simple? Simple, but yet very difficult. The simple thing that I think God wants you to hear and understand, and more importantly do, is to be salt and light. I'm done reaching South Orange County for Christ. Not to say I'm, I'm over it, I'm giving, I'm giving up on it. No, I'm not quitting. I'm just moving. And I'll be reaching the hill country in Texas and dedicating my life along with my wife and son and our time and effort and energy to reach the hill country of Texas. My time here in South Orange County is done. As much as true north has been a salt and light, I want you and more importantly, God wants you through Scripture, through the command of Scripture, to be salt and light. Essentially, to be a faithful Christian. That's what it really means to be salt and light, to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't do that, if we fail to be faithful Christians, people around us will be hindered by us from seeing the mercy that God has to offer. If we're unsalty, like soggy French fries, if we're not light, instead we're darkness, we're going to hinder people from following after God, to wanting to follow after God, to see the mercy that God has shown. No, God will, dis- you know, you, you know, despite our efforts, will still win people over, but He commands us to be salt and light so that we can reach people for Christ. So you and I, well, now you actually, I'm done in a few days. On May 21st, as I drive out of California, you have to carry on the task of being salt and light in South Orange County to win people for Christ. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me. A passage that is way too familiar to most of you. To some, this might be new, which I'm excited about. 
But to some of you, this is salt and light. That's, you've heard this since you were practically born. When you're my son's age, when you had no idea what was going around, but you gave the world a blank stare. But go to Matthew chapter 5. Read with me these familiar words from Jesus himself as he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What I want you all to do, what God wants us to do, is to exalt Him to a hopeless world by being faithful Christians. That's it. It's simple. It's easy as that, but yet it is very and extremely difficult, which talk about. But my final encouragement to you is to be salt and light for the purpose of exalting God to a hopeless world. I mean, you don't have to, I mean, all you have to do is go on social media and look in the news, go on Twitter, which I doubt any of you use, go on Google News to talk to your friends, listen to your parents. The world is hopeless without God. Now, there's some positive elements of it. I mean, God did create this world and um, creation is nice to enjoy, but life without God, as Solomon put it in Ecclesiastes, is meaningless. It's vanity. It's like vapor. So we need to exalt God to a hopeless world by being faithful Christians. By y'all being faithful Christians, God could use y'all to reach South Orange County for Christ. What better th- way to use your time and effort and energy than doing that but it requires not just an outward display, but an inward character. That's what it means to be salty. Not a Karen, not to be salty, bitter. No, to have an inward character that preserves. That's what verse 13 is all about. If you want to go back to, the, back to Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. Now, this isn't like when the Romans conquered Carthage and they covered the soil, the earth itself, with salt, and it killed all the life in, on the earth. No, that's not what he's talking about. The earth is you and me. The earth is people. Salt is a preservative. Now, there was a life uh, before then. I don't, I don't remember this. You don't remember this. Refrigerators were not invented yet. They weren't real. They didn't exist. Instead, what they used was salt to, p- to preserve food. So in order to keep the meat from rotting, from the, keep the meat from decaying, so if you eat it, you wouldn't die from some infectious disease, you would cover that thing in salt to help slow down the decay. Likewise, Christians are like salt to this earth, to salt to people, holding back the decay and evil of this world. Pastor Rod and Pastor Mike talked about this, how God uses the church more specifically Christians within the church, to hold back evil because we're salty. Not bitter. We're not Karens. No. We're preservatives. We hold back the tide. But how? Through the gospel. But what if we stop doing this? What if we're unsalty? 
We're not part of the salty crew anymore. What happens? If it's lost its taste, it becomes dull, it becomes sluggish, it becomes flat, like an uncarbonated soda that becomes flat. You, just, you take a sip of that, you spit it out, and you dump it. Or a flat coffee, a lukewarm cup of coffee that is absolutely gross, and you never want to drink it. If you do, you got problems. But you dump that out, and you spit it out of your mouth. Just like a salt that has lost its saltiness. Now, I do know that salt can never lose its saltiness. Pure salt cannot lose its saltiness, but that's what not Jesus, Jesus was not talking about that. If you go to the Dead Sea or if you go to Mono Lake, just a few hundred miles uh, north in California, you'll see these pillars of salt, but it's salt mixed in with other dirt and other things. It's impure salt. That's the salt you have to have that, the picture of. And so if the salt leaves this rock of yours, it becomes unsalty and becomes worthless. So what should you do? You should just dump it. Why? Because it's, it's not good for anything. It has no power. It has no, it has no might. It's not strong. So dump it out. Cast it out. Drive it out. Pour it out. And let people trample over it. Some of y'all don't care, but some of you do care about which direction the culture is going. Some of you are frustrated by the direction of the current culture, if it's the sexual revolution, if it's Marxism in your classrooms, or whatever political parties in power, and you're wondering why we Christians are seemingly getting run over. I think it's because we've become unsalty. I think it's because we forgot that the goal is Jesus and the way to actually tr truly change not just South Orange County, not to just to change California, not just to change the United States, but the world is not through the voting booth. It's not through politics. It's through the gospel. The only thing that can change people's hearts. And salty people understand that. Salty Christians understand that. And they will stay and remain faithful to that, to pro proclaim and live out the gospel so that they can hold back the evil and, and, dare I say, change people through the gospel. Just like your heart, if you have repented and, and trusted in Christ, was softened and changed, the world's can too. But if you're not salty, don't be surprised when the culture runs you over. When laws change, voting patterns stay the same, California looks totally depraved. If you ain't proclaiming the gospel, you ain't salty. If you ain't living out the gospel, you ain't salty. And don't complain on your social media or to us wondering why the culture is the way it is because you're getting run over, we're getting run over because we are not salty. We're not proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you see the danger of not being salty. So put that down for number, point number one. See the dangers of being an unfaithful Christian. My son is adorable. His nickname is Theodorable. His gummy little smile melts my heart. He does this thing now when he looks at me, I stick up my tongue, and he laughs. He does this little shy thing like, <laughs> it's adorable, melts my heart. But I realize that if I am an unfaithful father to him, it's not just that my reputation is tarnished and you guys don't look at me the same. No, it's that he will die. If Candace and I are unfaithful parents to my little 10-week or 11-week, I'm losing count of weeks because I don't count in weeks anymore, his, his life, he would die. He can't put on his own clothes. We have to physically do that ourselves. He cannot eat on his own. We have to feed him ourselves. 
If he flips over on his stomach, guess what? It might be cute. He'll lift his head up. He'll look at us and go, oh. And guess what? His face will go on the ground. He'll suffocate and die. I have to physically turn him over. He is fully dependent on my wife and I to make sure that he does not die and yet survives. If we are unfaithful Christians, we will not, if we are unfaithful Christians, we will not be able to turn over the culture at all. We will not be feeding the culture what it needs, which is the bread of life. If we are unfaithful Christians, we will not point to the answer and give the world the opportunity to be clothed with new clothes, the clothes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only thing that will hold back them Back, will hold back the wrath of God from them, for them, against them, on them. See the dangers of being an unfaithful Christian. Because if we are unfaithful, it hinders people from seeing Christ. Unfortunately, too many of us in this room think we know it all. We think we figured it out. We think we know the Bible enough. We've been to Iwana. We've been to the Narrow. We've been now here in Shirt North. I'm a senior. I'll go into the bridge. I know the Bible enough. I can teach it myself. Some of you don't even believe the Bible to be true. Some of you are rejecting it, and you think, no, I figured out life's problems. I figured out how to live a good life without the Bible. Thank you so much. I can figure it out. I can teach people how to be kind, how to be generous, how to be nice to one another. But God, through Paul to the Roman church, gives us the sober warning in Romans chapter 2, verses 18 to 24. Well, Paul challenges people who think, hey, you think you can teach the law, but do you teach yourself? You who say, do not steal, do you steal yourself? You who say, hey, be kind to people, are you not kind? You say, hey, don't be insulted and don't insult your parents. Don't you insult your parents back? You say, hey, don't lust, don't look at porn, but do you look at porn and lust after other people too? Hey, don't envy, it's wrong, but do you envy as well? And Paul continues in verse 24 saying that Gentiles blaspheme God because of you. He's talking to Jews who think they got the law figured out, that they're obeying rightly. He's like, no, you don't. And as a result, Gentiles, non-believers, are getting God wrong and blaspheming God and condemning them because you're teaching them wrongly. Young man, young woman, if you are not submitting to God's commands have not trusted in Christ, then you're teaching people the wrong way. And they're no better off than they were before. We have to be declaring the gospel. We have to be living out. Why? Because we're going to be held accountable. What if I told you even Christians will face discipline from God in the end? Well, Evan, I thought Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we don't have to face the wrath of God. Yeah, we don't have to face the wrath of God for our sins anymore. But it doesn't mean God's not going to discipline us. He disciplines those whom he loves. Paul gives a warning to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, saying, hey, the work that you do in this world as a Christian will be weighed. It will be measured. True North, our work in this world, if it's for God or not for God, will be presented to God on the day, the capital D day, the judgment day, before God, and he's going to measure it. He's going to test it. How? Through fire. It's like you present God a science project. Remember those back in middle school? I don't know if you do them in high school anymore, but you get the science project. You, you work so hard on it. Imagine a teacher just lighting it on fire and saying, whatever is left is what grade you get. The more stuff that's left, the better the grade. The stuff that's not left over, that's, that's, that's it. I'm sorry. 
So for those who used, decided to use metals and things that can resist fire, you get a great grade. But those who use styrofoam and paper and just worthless things, is going to burn up like that. And that will be your grade and that will be your reward. God is going to measure our work, how you work at school, how you work at work, how you work at home will be measured. And even those, even those Christians, verse 15, everyone's work will be burnt up. And those work who bur- will be burnt up will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, even though you're a Christian, you will still experience loss because you wasted your time not being salty, but instead just focusing on things for yourself. Be a faithful Christian. You'll be held accountable. If you're not a faithful Christian, living out the gospel, living that changed life, turning from those, our ignorant sins that we once did, if we keep going back to them, as when it says, when the saltiness has lost its taste, it said it's act foolishly. If we act like fools as Christians, going back to the same sins that we did before, or lacking and not doing anything, remaining apathetic to this whole thing called Christianity, then the world will be able to accuse you, and rightfully so. Paul writes to Titus, telling him to, in chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, in, the, uh, in his letter to Titus, he says to show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity, dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that, uh, that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. If we're living out the gospel, true north, the world will try to condemn us but see our good works and then in the end actually give glory to God. But if we're foolish Christians giving in to old habits that we said we repented from, holding back to the proclamation of the good news that saves and changes hearts, then the world's going to accuse us going, you're no better than me. You do the same things that I do. You live the same life as I live. What is the difference? And you have to look them in the eye and say, there is none. I'm a hypocrite. Now, does God offer, does God offer grace? Yes. Does it offer forgiveness? Yes. I'd rather you be salty, someone that's able to hold back evil with integrity than a hypocritical Christian who gets run over by the culture and just barely makes it because, okay, I trust in my life in Christ. No, dedicate your whole life to be the saltiest, saltiest Christian, the one that can preserve and hold back evil because you are faithful to proclaim the gospel at your campuses, at your, in your friend groups, in your family, and to live it out, to live the change that God has changed in you, and not to ignore it, but to actually live it. And living it out is the display that Jesus talks about in verse 14. You are the light of the world. You are a beacon. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It can't be concealed. It can't be put out. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. No one covers it up. It's when you like wake up in the middle of the night, you want to get a midnight snack or use the restroom, you might turn on your, uh, your iPhone light. It'd be foolish for you to just turn on your iPhone light and just cover it the whole time. Like, I want to figure it out. Where's my cat? I know it's trying to murder me, so I might as well just hide from it. Where's the corner of the house so I don't bump it in, bump my head? 
No, you would let the light shine forth and look for the light switch to display the light. For what reason? Why are we a lampstand? Why, why do we shine bright, radiate forth to all the house? It's because we're trying to reveal a path, a way, a direction, away from harm and away to, and away to the goal. For me, sometimes it's the fridge in the middle of the night because I'm hungry. I don't want to really run into, I don't want to, I don't want to run into the wall at night. We're supposed to reflect light. We're the light of the world. Christ is the light. That's what John talks about. Jesus is the light. And he is like the sun. We are like the moon. We reflect light. For what purpose? To lead a way out. Lead a way to salvation. Now we do so with our words and with our actions. So put that down for point number two. Point everyone back to Jesus with words and actions. So like we, imagine if this room just went completely dark. When Christ says you are the light, a dark world, we, we can't see much. We have exit signs that point the way out to safety. But light doesn't just shine light. A light stands out for everyone to see. When you are the light of a world, you are in a dark world. The culture may be happy. The culture may be you know, overjoyed at what they're doing, but in reality, they're dark. They're lost. They're hopeless. They have no hope. And Christ is a light. There's a city on a hill. You cannot unsee this light. Yeah, I can't but stare at it. So when we are the light of the world, it begins a small flicker like this in a dark world. And all of a sudden, another, Christian, another person becomes a Christian. And another person, another light, another light, another light. And the whole room becomes more and more light. It becomes brighter where the whole world now begins to see the way, the truth, and the light. The way to salvation so it's not just, hey, be good so you can look good. No, to be good so you can point people to the source of life, which is Jesus Christ. Shine brightly, publicly, and privately. Publicly in your social media. Publicly when you're at school. Publicly when you're on your, your at practices for your art, your music, or your sport privately at home, privately with your friends? Are you shining bright to other believers? Are you shining bright to unbelievers? If not, you're wasting your time. You may have fun for this moment, but it's critical. You have a choice here and out at 14 to 18 years old, right here and now, to shine bright for decades, make an impact in this dark world, or you can waste your time enjoying life, enjoying the things it has to offer, and being snuffed out, covering your light. When you're pointing people to Christ, you don't hide your faith. You don't hide your faith in fear and deny God and say, no, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a Christian, or you might not go as far as that. I'm not going to speak up. I'm not gonna, uh, I don't want to say that. I know I should share the gospel right now, but I'm too scared. No, those who want to point people to the light boldly talk about their faith, talk about their faith in Christ, talk about what Christ did on the cross, how we, there's the bad news, the good news, Christ and the response. But sometimes, and too many of us, and I understand it, use well, I should say, unfortunately, cover our light through busyness. 
I know y'all are busy. I know what it's like to be busy. Imagine packing up your whole house for weeks to move 1,600 miles away. It's a lot of energy. It's really sweaty, and I hate it so much. I know that y'all just did AP tests. I know that y'all have finals coming up. I know that y'all did all your sports all at once because our governor decided to finally let you dolls do sports. I understand that you have your practices. I know you have your college apps. I know you're trying to get ready for college or get ready for your next school. Some of you may be doing summer school. You might have birthdays coming up. Your significant other birthdays coming up. You have friend hangout. You have all these plans. Your busyness is quenching and covering up the light that you can shine brightly to this world. What I mean is, you can do the birthdays, you can celebrate your significant other, you can go to school, you can apply for colleges, take those AP tests, do well in your finals, but you're doing that to shine bright for God and not yourself. I have one regret about college. I never prayed about it. I accepted a full-ride scholarship. I don't have any student debt. It's great. Looking back, I regret never praying about it. I did it for me, not for God. Now, God worked despite me. Thankfully, he sent me to New Mexico, and I got saved, but that was despite me. Imagine if you did everything, your school, your work, your career, your relationships, the people, the, the, the friendships that you have. You did it all for God to shine bright to your fellow Christians and then also to a dark world. Imagine with me what that could look like how brightly you can shine for God, and the people would see, wow, how do you do life so differently? The same life I'm trying to live. I'm trying to go to college too. I'm trying to get work too. I'm trying to have a significant other. But why do you do it that way? How are you during your struggles able to be joyful? How in your suffering are you able to be joyful? It's because you have the light of God in you, and you're following his light, reflecting his light to them, and you use your words to share the gospel with them. When we are the light of the world, the light draws people. As we were sitting in darkness, your eyes were drawn to this light. Matthew uses Isaiah's light idea, light, his concept of light, to bring forth and help us illustrate what it's going to be like. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2, verses, uh, verses two and five, through 5, there's a day coming where Jerusalem, the city of God, will be on a high mountain. And it will display its light and glory to all the nations, for all the nations to see, to see, and not only that, for the nations to come. As they say in verse 3, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. This is not just Jews talking, this is everyone in the world. Roman, Babylonian, Persian, Chinese, Iranian, Canadian, Mexican, you know, American. Those who follow Christ, those who follow God, the true God will be drawn to the light. So when we shine bright in how we use our social media and how we go about our schoolwork, when we're in our classroom, when we're at our work, when we're at home, do we shine bright to our parents, to our siblings, to our friends, the people that we don't like, to our teachers, our co-workers, co-workers, excuse me, do you shine bright to our neighbors? 
We sh- do we shine bright and do they see God in us? Because that is the point. It's to shine bright so that they can see God. That's Jesus' point in verse 16. In the same way, in this way, let your light shine, shine forth, radiate, bring to sight before others, before mankind, so that, or in other words, in order that they may see your good works, your good deeds, in order that they may give glory, honor, and praise to your Father who is in heaven, the Holy One of eternity, that you, if you, have, if you have repented and trusted in Christ, have a personal and intimate relationship with. When you shine bright, when you live out the gospel, the world will take notice. That is why we should, in everything that we do, we should dedicate it, orient it for the purpose of praising and bringing honor and bringing joy to God. Not metaphorically, not figuratively, but literally. Put that down for point number three. Literally do everything for God. When you go to bed tonight, do it for God. Not just so that you can get, okay, I, I love sleep and I want to rest and sleep, but no. Get rest so you can go to work for God. You can go to school for God. You can go to your work after school for God. You can go to your practice for God. When you pick out your outfit, is it for God or is it for you or for someone else? The way that you brush your teeth, the way that you, the way that you eat breakfast, the way you eat for breakfast, breakfast, are you doing it for God? When you work out, are you doing it for you or are you doing it to have a body that can be functional so that it can serve and glorify God? Are you educating yourself for you or to bring glory to God? The way that you drive, the way that you act around your friends, is it just mainly for you or is it to glorify God? You can have fun with friends. You can sit in the hot tub with the dudes. You can talk about you know, the latest cool movie that came out. But circle it back to God and what he's done in your life and encourage one another to keep going, to fight the temptations, to keep doing good, to keep evangelizing, to keep declaring and shining bright in this dark world, not so that you can feel good, no, so that God can be glorified by people repenting and trusting in Christ because they see the change in you and you declaring to them the good news. Display your righteousness publicly but not for yourself. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, the next chapter, verses 1 through 5. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others so that you can be seen by them. The world does good so it can feel good. Think about it. If I really press someone who's an unbeliever and say, hey, you should help me build a well in Africa, and I kept pushing them and pushing them, going, why? Why should I? Why should I? As a Christian, I should say, you know what? I should help you build a well because these people are created in the image of God, and I want to serve their needs so that I can be a sweet aroma to them, and then I want to proclaim the good news of salvation through Christ. But why should I build a well in Africa in your, in your idea? The best they can do is to say, oh, because you'll feel good. That's your reward. That's Jesus' promise in Matthew 6. Your reward is the like on Instagram. Your reward is the comments on your TikTok. The reward is the followers. The reward is your feeling good, getting the applause, maybe getting the award of being the most human, uh, the, the greatest human, uh, humanitarian. But that's it. And God's going, I'm offering you an eternal reward. 
I'm offering you treasures in heaven that will last not just a moment, but for eternity. But you have to do it for me, by me, through me, and put on display my glory and not your own. We literally do everything for God, not for self-praise, but rather to put God on display. That's what Matthew 5, 16, the, the one that we just, verse that we talked about. So others may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. Why do we bear much fruit? Why do we, should we do good things? Why should we obey Christ's commandments? Because John 15, 8, Jesus says, if you do this, you not only prove to be my disciples, no, you also give glory to God in heaven. And you do it also so that people, they praise God with their lips and acknowledge God as their Lord to confess their sin and repent to him. Boss, you literally do everything for him because you believe his promises to be true. You don't worry about what you need. Why? Because Matthew 6 promises. Seek first my kingdom and I'll provide everything you need. Clothing, food, shelter, you got it. You seek me first, I'll provide everything that you need. Not only that, I'll provide treasures in heaven that will not rust or get destroyed like everything here on earth. Bitcoin will be eventually destroyed. All the cash that you own will be burnt up. It's going to be gone. If you die, you bring nothing. To, you bring nothing. But God promises, if you seek my kingdom first and obey me, I'll reward you in heaven. We trust that his way is greater. We trust that his treasures are greater than anything here on earth. That's when we are salt and light. That is my final exhortation to you because I have two reasons. First, because I want to see God glorified here. Ever since I've been part of True North, the gospel has always been the focus been preached here and from the podium, through the small group leaders, through everything that we do. We might have fun in dodgeball. We might have fun at revival, but the gospel is the focus. Us leaders have seen many of you and many past True Northers come to saving faith at revivals. We have seen the gospel declared in the public schools in California. I've seen some of your testimonies get thousands of views on Instagram. People hearing about the gospel. My work here is done. I have to be salt and light somewhere else. I have to hold back evil in a different location. I got to shine bright in a different location. But you get to keep going. I don't want to see God glorified by seeing this room filled up, not just so that Pastor Rock can pat himself on the back, no, so that he can lead and disciple alongside his, with his leaders hundreds of y'all in this room because all of y'all have decided to actually repent and trust in Christ because all y'all are starting to make disciples and being obedient to Christ because all y'all are bringing more people to this church because all y'all are boldly being salt and light on your campuses proclaiming the gospel. You, all y'all are working hard on your campus clubs. All y'all are working on your testimony so that you can declare it on social media. All y'all are working hard to see this area grow. All 600,000 people in South Orange County to see them them saved, that would bring so much glory to God. And I want to see that. But you have to be salt. And you have to be a faithful Christian. And you have to faithfully be light to, just, to proclaim the gospel with your words and to proclaim the gospel with your actions. 
together, not either or, it's together, it's a both and. And the second reason that I want you to be salt and light is because I want to hear a sweet report about you. I'm going to miss y'all a lot. Paul would write these encouragements to these church plants all over Asia and well, all over the ancient world, Greece and Asia. For the Philippians, he'd say, I'm so encouraged by your growth and your faith. To the Galatians, is more of a rebuke. I don't want to have to rebuke you, okay? I don't have to call you up, hit you up on Instagram and say, hey, what are you doing? Stop. No, I want to hear how y'all have been faithful to be salt and light in this area. I want to hear from Pastor Rod and these leaders, or even from you, and to see it displayed publicly, but also more importantly, I want to hear about your private faith so I can rejoice and be excited about God working in you. It breaks my heart to hear about negative, the negative reports about people whom I've discipled, some whom have walked away from the faith. But those are overshadowed, overshadowed by the joy I have when I see the young, some of the young men I had the privilege to disciple grow in their faith. I want to see y'all grow. I'm thinking of a young man who works for Microsoft up in Washington, but faithfully leads a group of young high school men. I'm thinking of a young man who graduated a couple years ago who's dedicated his full time at CBI so that he can be a potential minister of the gospel. I think of another young man who is a high school or youth director at Tustin, how he's been growing and now will soon to be a father. I'm thinking of another young man who is in these, uh, sitting in those seats, well, actually in 120 West, who's at Biola pursuing an accounting degree, be as faithfully serving his church at Compass HB. I'm thinking of another man who decided to leave his home in Southern California as a young man and to travel all the way to Idaho and is faithfully serving at Compass Treasure, Treasure Valley. I'm thinking of the young man who's, uh, who, was, who served with me as a president of FCA at Dana Hills, who's now at Biola, who's dedicating his life to be a minister of the gospel. But I'm thinking of another young man who served with me FCA, who wants to be a firefighter, but who's passionate about seeing his little junior high small group know and follow Christ. Thinking about a young man who's pursuing a medical degree at Baylor, that he still, despite the hard tests and the stressful situation, put his, he puts his church first. And then two young men, I love hearing about how they, uh, as they pursue business degrees in Texas, are more excited about the church that they're plugged into. Those are the sweet reports I want to see, to hear about y'all. That despite the busyness of high school, that you guys are being faithful to do salt and light to your campuses. And to see this ministry grow, not just so that we can be like, ooh, numbers, yay. No. It's because God has been glorified because sinners are repenting and finding saving faith. Will you be a faithful Christian? Will you be salty? And will you display God's light in your life? Let's pray. 